This is Ty Tabor from King's X, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott here. Richie. And yes, another week of Focus on Metal. And uh, got a great guest this week is uh, Richie, as promised last week, talking with Ty Tabor about his brand new album. Yeah, it's a solo album. And it's actually a double. There's, there's, uh, I think there's like 10 new songs and 11 hmm. uh, remixed yeah. tracks from his uh, earlier solo stuff. Yeah. So it's a really cool package. Nice, nice. And, uh, you know, well, that's, I mean, Rat Pack always is pretty cool about that stuff. Yeah, so they've got all the bundles, the yeah. usual great stuff. Absolutely. So definitely go ahead up to Rat Pack Records, and uh, hopefully some of that stuff is still available. Uh, usually it is. They usually do a pretty good job at a great price. So, uh, yeah, urge you to do that. But, yeah, I mean, I was I was happy that you were able to get another chance to talk to Ty. Yeah. I know you're, you know, you've always been a massive, massive Kings X fan, so. Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough to, and I said at the tie in the interview that, uh, when the Jelly Jam played one of their few shows, yeah. I, I saw one of the first ones. Mm-hmm. And it was great seeing Rod and Rod Morgenstein, John Mayonga and Ty yeah. in a project outside of their respective bands. And to see them on a small stage like that, like the venue holds about 200 people, uh-huh. uh, was fantastic. Like the musicianship was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, they just looked like they were having so much fun. It was like, wow, we're actually playing together live. Yeah. Because they'd recorded a lot of albums and never, they're like, you know, a lot of projects now. Yeah. They never get out. Right. And now they actually could get out and play some shows. So that was great. And then, of course, Ty has done, oh, I'd say six or seven solo records at this stage. Uh-huh. He's pretty prolific. Yeah. And um, King's X haven't released anything in 10 years. Yeah. Um, but I think they're uh, they're going to bring something out. This year, finally. Yeah. Well. And, uh, which would be nice. But, um, yeah, Ty, super busy. Like, King's X are always playing shows. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm just a big fan. Yeah. Of course, uh, you know, probably uh, another another big news item for this year so far that I think some people are shocked, some people aren't, and couldn't be more different than Ty Tabor is uh, Slayer saying, uh, we're done. <laughs> Let's 
Well, you know, when, when I talk about surprise and, and not surprised, on the not surprised side is the fact that we know that uh, Tom's had a lot of issues with his back and, and kind of been uncomfortable and stuff. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, losing Jeff Hanneman as well, which I'm sure is still weighs on them heavily and, you know, great part of the songwriting and all that. And even though Gary's done a great job of coming in and, you know, filling that role, he's really not taking Jeff's spot. Jeff's a pretty unique guy in the band. So I can see with, with those two things, just being like, you know, well, we're just, we're done, you know? What? Um, and, and the revolving drum throne too. So it's. What has changed um, since Jeff died? Like, Tom had the injury, I think, before. He did, yeah. Yeah, so why now? That why, They should have just done it when Jeff passed away and said, look, I'm injured. Right. Jeff, was a main songwriter, is gone. Yeah. He's, he's passed well, I mean, away. Kerry did, Kerry did a lot of songwriting. I mean, they all, they, they kind of all did. It was, you know, but mostly Jeff and Kerry, but I'm sure they just figured they could continue. You think, you think, would you think now that the, like Kerry and Tom are set for life financially? No. I don't think so. That's why I don't believe that they're going to finish. I, I never believe, I never believe any band ever. Yeah. You know, even Motley Crue. <laughs> And I'll just I'll just go off on a tangent for a second. Right? Sure. They finally have the film's going to go into pre-production. They've got four actors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're going to do music. Nikki Six has put six a.m. to bed. Right. Done. Yeah. Right. His radio show is done. Uh huh. Right. They're going to bring out this movie. What's going to sell the movie? We need a new song. Right, they're going to go in and they'll probably do a new song. Vince will sing six six words, you know, and then they'll comp them all. Will he sing six words? Yeah, maybe. And then that's if he can fit through the door of the no, studio. I was just thinking about, like, is he actually going to sing them or just kind of mumble them incoherently? Um, well, the, what's, <laughs> if he can get through the door. Yeah, what's new? Um, and that'll probably lead to, oh, we're, uh, we're doing a one-off, we're doing a show. or like, I don't. I just don't believe any band anymore. Yeah. Um, unless they're like, like you look at look at a band like Kiss, right? We always come back to Kiss. <laughs> they don't need the money. Yeah, you know, they, their farewell tour was what ninety seven. Yeah, Scorpions' farewell tour was six years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, you've all other. I can't think there was another band came out recently saying that they're going on their farewell tour. It's going to take three years. I'm like, oh for God's sake! And the only class act that have done it the right way is Rush. Yeah, because Alex Lyson came out recently and said that we're basically done. Yeah, so they did the anniversary tour, said that they were never going to do a farewell tour, nothing. Yeah, they just did the tour, yeah. said nothing, went away, and now they're saying, yeah, we're finished. Uh huh. No hoopla. No, we might be back. You know, we we'll, oh, we're, we we might do a new album. Just nothing. No, no, we're done. Yeah, class. Yeah. And none of the other bands can do that. None. Well, of the them. thing is, I mean, and you and you're right. I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um. But I think part of that is, again, is, I mean, Rush can't go out as Rush without Neil. Oh, yeah. I mean, no. really, Rush can't go out as Rush without all three of those guys. I mean, well, with a three-piece, yeah. I you think just, it's, but, you can but you hide it a bit more in a four-piece or a five-piece. But you can't, you can't interchange those guys. You can't get another drummer that will be, you know, I mean, you couldn't bring, like, someone like Mike Portnoy, as good as he is, in to, and to go out with, with uh 
with Getty and Alex. Not, you know what I mean? You, not if the, not if they were calling themselves Rush. Right, but that's what I'm saying. They, yeah. So they couldn't. It has to be an agreement with all three of them to go out. I mean, that's just that's one of those bands that that's how it is. And I just don't see Neil ever going out again. No, he doesn't want to do it. He's so got I think that Getty and, and Getty and Alex would keep right on doing it. I think Getty would. I don't know about Alex. Yeah, I think, I think Get, he would. I, I've seen the uh, the movie they brought out last year, Time Stand Still, uh-huh. and Getty always wants to go out and tour. Yeah, I know Alex has, has um, he's had some issues with his hands, uh-huh. arthritis, I think, yeah. and stuff like that. And Neil is just like you play that sort of music for three hours in your mid sixties. Yeah, that he has the toughest job of of the three of them on stage. Yeah, he does. But then he went through a lot too, and I just, I just, I think that he's, you know, probably mentally battling a lot of decisions too. And so, I could see him just being like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just done." Yeah, how many motorbike rides can you take around the U.S. before even that gets tired? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, you know. But we get back to the Slayer thing. Um, they've got a great bill going out this year. They're actually not playing up here, but yeah, it's Slayer. Lamb of God, Anthrax, Bohemoth, and Testament. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at the lineup and I'm thinking, what, Testament, why are Testament opening? Are Bohemoth bigger than Testament? Are Lamb of God bigger than Anthrax? For a, yeah, see, the thing is, is that, t- to me, and, and the way that I look at metal, like, in my own little way, no. To both of those questions. But the Slayer is unique in that their fan base is fucking huge. And so, you know, unlike when you think about someone like a band like Testament, right? We pretty much know what their fan base is. Death Angel, we pretty much know what their fan base is. Mm-hmm. Slayer is, is Slayer is like Motorhead, where they've crossed over and become huge across so many other, you know, genres of metal so that if you like if you like death metal chances are you also like slayer you know so you i can definitely see that there's people that are going to go there to see slayer and behemoth i mean take dario you know guy who founded this show yeah right behemoth is like one of his favorite bands ever i I don't slayer his cat's name is Behemoth. I don't think I've ever heard a Bohemoth song. If they were standing here in the room and you, if there was five people in the room, because it's not, it's yeah, it's not that kind. Of, it's something you definitely wouldn't listen to. That's just it, you wouldn't. Is it? Yes, I'm out. <laughs> but there's, but think about that. That there's that a band like Slayer is a precursor to a lot of those bands, both in the way that Tom Mariah delivers lyrics. Although not, he's not doing Cookie Monster, but he's approaching it in a lot of songs and in their uh, their lyrical content and um, just you know that they kind of they the anti God anti religion. I mean, they're they are a precursor for a lot of those bands. Mm. So you know, even for uh, even for Lamb of God, same deal. I mean, Lamb of God started off being Burn the Priest until the labels like you can't be freaking Burn the Priest, so they're Lamb of God. But again. Their their fan base too, I'm I'm sure, and based on this lineup, I think it kind of shows it that Lamb of God fan base, which is huge, is also a, a Slayer fan base, and I'm sure that 
you are going to get, you know, bands who fans out there that are uh, old school San Francisco thrash fans. But a lot of those people are my age, your age. And so there's going to be less of those people going to that show. So how do you how do you really get that audience, especially the the audience that might be younger than us and is still going to more concerts or can go to more concerts? You you put them on a bill with people like Behemoth and Lamb of God. Yeah, the only problem I have with a bill like that, and I'm nitpicking, but if you're a fan of Testament, you're 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 not going to be satisfied because they're only going to get thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Right, and then yeah. Anthrax. If I'm a big Anthrax fan, I'm probably only get fifty minutes. And even with Slayer, only if it's the last time you see Slayer, yeah, and you only get seventy minutes, you might think, "Fuck it, I want a hundred minutes. I want them to play three or four or five or six more songs. I want them to play the whole Rain in Blood, and then I want them to play yeah. a load of other but stuff." But what are they? So you said they didn't. They're not coming around here. Um, they're not playing Massachusetts. They're, okay, they're playing Uncasville, Connecticut. Is the is the nearest. They're, oh. they're, they're touring all over the U.S. Okay. Cool. No reason I ask is I didn't even look at the tour dates, and I was just wondering if it was more of like when, you know, when Metallica did Summer Sanitarium. And they, they had – it wasn't just your normal, um, you know, kind of three-hour format show, but it was, you know, five, six hours. And, you know, those bands all got almost full sets. But it sounds like, yeah, you're not going to have that in – probably at Mohegan or something, right? Yeah, you're not going to have that because um – it's going to be in in arenas or sheds, yeah. or and the curfew. Yeah, curfew is not going to allow for that. So right. you're going to have, right. I reckon you're going to have. It might start at six thirty-seven. Yeah, it's got to end at eleven. Yeah, and um, it's just going to be boom, 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 half an hour, forty minutes. Yeah, quick but then you get all the you get a, you get changeover for every one of those exactly. bands too. So you're talking fifteen, twenty minutes. Exactly, back. it's got to be re- done really, really quick. Yeah. And if you're, I think if you're a fan of any of the bands, I think overall it's a great package. Yeah, but you're just gonna be. Uh, I just wanted a little bit more of this band that I really like. And I, and I would agree. I would be I would be disappointed because I would be I would want to go and see. Actually, I want to go see Testament and uh, and Anthrax more than I want to go exactly. see Slayer. <laughs> well, I, 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 if they went out with Slayer, Anthrax, and Testament, yeah, I'd be way happier. Yeah, I'm just I'm not into Lamb of God. I'm not into Bohemoth. I, I think when you start adding your four and your five and your six bands onto a bill, yeah, you're stretching it. Then yeah, three but, is mean, perfect. You know. Dave did it well with with Gigantor, and he made some pretty varied bills. And I was never really disappointed with the Gigantor bill, yeah, which was good. You know, well, we the one we went to what Lacuna Coil at what twenty twenty five minutes, yeah. And then Motorhead, Motorhead came out. Motorhead were brilliant, yeah. And they had forty minutes, yeah. And they were fucking fantastic. And then they had to leave, and I'm like, fuck, <laughs> you know. And I'm I'm not the biggest Motorhead fan in the yeah. world, but they were phenomenal live, yeah. And then Volbeat came out and they had an hour. Yeah. And then Motorhead at 70, or Megadeth at like 70, 75 minutes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you got one too many bands. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to start stretching it like that, you got to like, okay, we're starting it at five and give people real fucking value for money. And if there's not that many people there at five o'clock, 
then so be it. Yeah, well, I think part of it's economics too, right? Is if band can't afford to tour, you know, with like one or two bands, they got to the only the only economic way to do is to, is to do the multi band bills too. So, yeah, I, I like you're like we're talking beforehand. You know, you got Foreigner, White Snake, Jason yeah. Bonham, yeah, three perfect, yeah, absolutely perfect. Like I saw I saw a gig in Dublin before I moved here, and it was Def Leppard, White Snake. Journey, Tesla, yeah, and Tesla weren't even on the ticket. Tesla had—I'd ha- never seen him. They had thirty minutes. They came on right at seven. Yeah, Journey had fifty. Yeah, and then White Snake and Def Leppard had seventy each. Hmm. And uh, it was—it was a great night out. Yeah, but you know, Journey were brilliant, and they only played fifty. And I'm like, Fuck, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm nitpicking, but yeah, it's alright. You'll see that Journey Def Leppard bill all over again. Oh, I don't know. Every year. No, I, I don't know. I've, uh, they're, you know, people, they're trying to market that as the, um, the most, you know, the, it's going to be the best tour of the summer. And I'm thinking, uh, which summer? <laughs> You've already done it. Yeah. I mean, several times. Um, yeah. And even around here, it's going to be Fenway Park. Yeah. It's, um, I think they're doing Wrigley in Chicago. Huh. Um, Interesting seeing a, a concert at a baseball stadium because I've been told it's not really suitable for music because the seats are set up to it's, look at home yeah. plate. Fenway is not is not made for music. Well, it's over a hundred <laughs> years old, and because it's at Fenway, they're going to fucking jack up the prices. Yeah, and I've seen Leopard a load of times, and what are they doing? Oh, Hysteria in full. Yeah, I'm like fucking hell. <laughs> I if they're doing Hysteria in full. I want to just come out, ignore, do women, right? Uh-huh. That's the only song I want to hear on side one. And then do Gods of War, Excitable, Run Riot, and Love and Affection, and I'll go home. You can do the rest of it after. I've seen you, I've seen you, do, it, I've seen you do all the rest of it ten fucking times. Yeah. And because they're doing Hysteria, they won't do Let It Go. They won't do any of the fucking deeper shit. Yeah. Um, it'll be the most predictable concert ever yeah with Journey playing as well yeah. the, only, the only drama in Journey is if Jonathan Cain and Neil Sean will punch each other out <laughs> on stage but other than that it's going to be the safest concert of the summer yeah well again too you know you, when you get something like Wrigley you get something like Fenway I mean that's what you book right you book safe concerts yeah, Neil. Right? Di- well, Neil Diamond. Well, he's he's. You can't have people. Jimmy Buffett. You and, can't have people moshing and ripping yeah. seats out, right? Yeah, it's very very safe. Um, it's probably the heaviest concert they've ever had in Fenway. And they will, you know, it's it's. Um, I think it'll probably do well because, I mean, Hysteria was their, you know, their probably their biggest album, with the largest audience crossover. Yeah, but did. Joe Elliott should never come out and say they're not a nostalgia act. They are. Yeah. Just admit it. You are. You're, rely- you're playing an album to death that's 30 years old. You just re-released it as a deluxe edition. You're yeah. ignoring everything you've done mo- practically since Adrenalize. Yeah, but, you know, the thing too, and you're right, they have. They've also, you know, they they've developed a, a sense of of perfection and i'm sure that you know you come out with an album like hysteria 
and, and sonically how that thing sounded. And you listen back to On Through the Night, and you're like, eh, Jesus, what were we thinking, you know? Mm. Hysteria, so, so Hysteria you, is brilliant. Yeah. I'm not knocking the album. I'm not knocking the band. They're one of my favorite bands. Yeah. The last time they came through here, I didn't go. Yeah. Because I knew, Dan, I was like, okay, I saw you last year. I know what you're going to play. Yeah. I'm, it was a good show. Yeah. It just you know, would have been better if we didn't have to deal with Poison. Poison, yeah. <laughs> and the thing with Poison, you knew what they were going to play yeah. as well. Yeah. There's no surprises anymore with Journey. Yeah. And there's none with, you know, Def Leppard. Now, the tour that I think is going to be great, and I'm hoping to go, you're definitely going, is uh, the Judas Priest, yeah. Black Star Riders and Saxonville. Yeah. I think that's a fucking phenomenal yeah. bill. And that should be a great gig because yeah. where we're seeing that is two and a half thousand, three thousand people. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not much. And some of the venues they're playing are probably seven, eight, nine, ten thousand. Yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing them in a the theater. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so I'm hoping to get hooked <laughs> up for that. You've already uh, forked out. Yep, I did. But um, And then, of course, what we have coming up as well is uh, um, Schenkerfest. Awesome. Yeah, the new single is really good. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting seeing the three singers, or the four singers. Is yeah, I'm looking four, forward to that show. Four? It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael's in a good place now, and, you know, he's clean and sober. And, you know, the, the new album, I'm sure we're going to get it soon. And hopefully Yeah, and that's have. a small venue, too. Berkeley Music. Yeah, Berkeley's yeah I saw Chris Cornell in there. Yeah, that's a, acoustic. Yeah, he won't be doing that show again. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really small. Yeah. And it's really, really fucking narrow. It is, but it's also acoustically perfect. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, it's uh, it's the theater, the main theater at the Berkeley School of Music. Yeah, so it has to be because it's, it's And good. it's an amazing room. And like Richie said, it's it's narrow, but it's acoustically, it's it's awesome. You can hear everything from every seat. 
Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, Robin McCauley sing. I think he does like four or five songs with, with Michael. Cause yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm a much bigger fan of the McCauley Schenker group than I am the other MSG stuff. Uh huh. The other MSG stuff I like. Yeah. But I got in, when I got into rock and metal, it was yeah. 87. Yeah. 80, and that was Macaulay Schenker. Uh huh. And he's Irish and biased. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a nice guy too. So. Yeah, he's a super nice guy. Yeah, yeah. And we've, we've interviewed him a few times. So, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to be able to hook up with him and uh, thank him and that'd yeah, be cool. Well, yeah. it, the, the word is in, so yeah, you know, and we'll see. We, I've been talking back and forth with him, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, all right. What do you say we uh, we roll some tie? Sure. All right. <laughs> Hey Ty, how you doing? Good, how you doing man? I'm good, I'm good. So it's great to talk to you again. I interviewed you a Thank couple you. of years ago, so I'm, you're not going to remember me, so <laughs> I don't expect Well, I actually, I did, I did recognize your name. I couldn't remember the interview, but I did recognize your name. I knew we had talked before. Yeah, we, we, um, we went through the whole of the King's X discography with you for over, over two hours. Oh wow, no wonder, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, of course, I'm on. I'm on here to talk about the Alien Beans, um, the new solo album that that's that's out. But I always ask the guitarists when I have them on, um, how many guitars do you think you have in your house? Oh, in my house? Yeah. Uh, let me see. Um, well, I have nine in this room with me um, right now in the. Uh, Downstairs area, I probably have another twelve or so, probably. Wow! And do, do you have a favorite mm-hmm. one? Do you have a favorite one that you like to write on? I've got two or three favorites that are that are good for different things. Yeah. Um, I've got one strat that I really love. Uh, I actually have more than one strat that I love that sound different from each other, and I use them for different things. 
Um, I've got a gold shotless ball that I really, really like the way it plays and sounds. I've got a cheap Gibson M2 that, believe it or not, is one of the best sounding guitars in the house. And, okay. um, and then there's a few guitars that are like things that I put together from parts and different guitars, and, and I've got a couple of those that are really nice, too. I have to mention I've got several Guildfords here, too, which are all super high and really nice guitars. Wow. So what about an acoustic guitar? Do you have a favorite acoustic? I do, and it's a Yamaha, and I'm totally blanking on the uh, model number, but it was something made way back in, I believe, like the early 90s, and it's handmade. It's a really, really nice guitar, and of all the acoustics I've ever played, it's by far the the easiest to play and best-sounding acoustic I've ever heard. Um, I also have had some Martins that I liked a lot. Um, but I'd say that Yamaha, of all things, is just magic. Yeah. And you heard the saying over the years, like, you know, musicians will say that, like, they've woken up and a song has practically wrote itself or they've written a song without even thinking of it. Does that happen to you a lot over the years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like it when that happens. Um, I wish it would happen way more often. It would make writing a lot easier. <laughs> um, but uh, that's it just, you know, it happens just once in a while and it's a gift and you, you just are thankful when something just lands in your lap like that that you feel like you didn't even have anything to do with. Yeah. Did you ever try and recreate that environment to see if it happens again or it, you just can't do it? it just, if it happens, it happens. No, no. You just can't. It happens. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to. It's like trying to conjure a spirit or something, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's going to happen when it happens, and and I have no idea what all all the different things or the ingredients that come together to make that happen. If, if anybody knew that, they could make a fortune with a book. <laughs> true, that's true. So I I was very fortunate. Um, about a year or so ago, I was at one of the first Jelly Jam shows that you did, and okay. Yeah, the one that was in the Tupelo Music Hall in um, New Hampshire. Very cool. And um, the one thing I got from watching the three of you guys on stage was how much fun you had playing together live. That it, you, you know, yeah. did you ever think that you were never going to play together live as a band at Jelly Jam because you'd done like four or five albums before then? Well, you know, I've been through phases. When we first started out. I used to think there was a real possibility we could do something live. And then, you know, years and years and years went by. And, uh, and it just kind of became just this, you know, we, we were all so busy. It was just hard to do any. It was hard enough just to get together to do the albums. So um, after a while, I started assuming we probably really weren't going to be doing any, any live playing ever. And then we got a new record deal. And um, the record deal... Uh, it was in the contract that they, you know, required that you do a certain amount of live shows in order for them to agree to do the deal. So we knew at that point, um, uh, you know, we signed a deal uh, with the idea that, okay, we're about to actually start doing this thing for real. And uh, we uh, kind of went into it that way. And we've done two tours now. Uh been talking to John here in the last few days about getting together very soon for doing some more recording right away and I'm sure we're going to do some more touring so yeah Jelly Jam has become an actual working band all of a sudden but to my surprise yeah some people would say that like 
it's a project until it plays its first live show, then it becomes a band. Would you agree with that? I do. I mean, we've always felt that we were a band, but um, you don't, it's not legitimate until you're out there playing live as far as the fans are concerned. And I understand that. So, uh, yeah, I get that. And uh, we all, we all knew that too, that, that getting out and playing live would hopefully make people uh, realize that we're serious about it. We've been doing this for many, many years and we want to keep doing it. We love the band. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you about the, the new album, Alien Beans. But I've been a fan of King's X and your solo stuff for many years. And I know that that's the name of your studio. And I want to go back to the time you built you built the studio and even before then. Were you somebody who always wanted to go to, behind the other side of the glass and talk to the engineers and the producers about how they got the sounds? And were you always inquisitive about that aspect of recording? Yeah, actually, from a very early age, when I was just a little kid, I can remember grilling my next door neighbor, who was in a uh, he was a really fantastic guitar player, still to this day a huge influence on me. Uh, named Mickey Pogue, I've spoken of him a few times, but I was just very lucky that this guy was two houses down from me as I was growing up. He was older than me. Um, and he is like a Jeff Beck type player to me, somebody who is all about the feel. He could play one note and uh, it would mean more than, you know, an entire solo from somebody else in the band when it was their turn. He just had this different kind of thing about feel. And uh, Mickey, um, I even forgot what was the original question I took off on. No, nope. <laughs> were you um, were you somebody who was inquisitive about how how they did things oh, yeah, on the yeah. other side of the glass? Right. So Mickey had done a recording, and I I um I just asked him. I said, um, "How does that how does that work?" You know, and I remember I was I was really young when I asked him this, and uh, I can't even remember maybe you know six or or so. And uh, he explained to me that somebody would like play, you know, some bass and drums maybe, and then, you know, and then somebody else would come in and play guitar. And I was like, well, how? How did they, you know, come in and play guitar when it's already been played? How did they put it together? And he, he explained to me tracks. And I began to get the concept when I was really young. So what happened is I went home and I had a little cassette recorder. And my mom and dad had a little cassette recorder. So I took their recorder and mine, and I went into the bedroom, and I started, like, like I, just, I hardly even knew anything on a guitar at all. I like just a G chord. And I remember, like, strumming and, uh, you know, playing, like, four times and then turning the recorder off and backing it up and then playing it and then turning the other recorder on and playing with the cassette player and trying to do, you know, the same thing. And then it would sound like two guitars. And I remember being mesmerized by that. And then I got what recording was, what multi-tracking was. And uh, for years, I used cassettes like that to do demos with multi-tracks back and forth and back and forth until four tracks were invented and uh, we moved on at that point. Yeah. Now, what was the biggest challenge for you in, in getting the studio up and running? Like, was can you point to one thing that... You were really went in, and you like, you know, you didn't really know what you were doing. Like the recording stuff, you you can play 
probably the recording, but what was the biggest challenge to you in getting the studio up? Uh, to be honest, I've always been completely at home in the studio and don't even remember my first studio experience because it was so young. Uh, when I was 14, I got hired to be a studio guitarist at a studio. Um, and my dad used to have to drive me there to do albums. And I would like go in on a Saturday and we would, it would be an all day thing, like, you know, 12 hours and the album was done and I'd be a paycheck. Um, and it was huge money for me at that time, at that age. It was just like, you know, my dad was happy to take me there to, for that day work here and there because it was ridiculous uh, compared to, you know, what I could get even working a full week somewhere. So I was extremely excited about that, and that got me into the studio immediately. But I was um, mesmerized by that all along because I remember any time I had a chance that I knew anyone that was recording anywhere in a real studio, I asked if I could come hang out. And so there was a band called Matthew. This is how I got the job at, at the, the studio. There was a band called Matthew recording an album. And so I went down, a friend of mine was in the band, so I went down to hang out. And um, I, was, I was just really paying attention to the parts. And there was this really cool song that my friend had written that had a great guitar part on it that sounded like Phil Keggy. So I grabbed an acoustic that was sitting out in the lounge, and I figured that part out really quick. And the engineer uh, took took a break for a second, came out to get some water or something, and I was playing that riff. And he looked at me and he said, um, did you just figure that out right now? And I said, yeah. And he said, you've never played that before. And I said, no. He said, you want a job? And I said, yeah. And that's how I got started in the studio, and I was, wasn't even old enough to drive. And it's just always something I wanted to do so bad that it's just where I, the studio is where I'm home. It's where I, where I love to go. Yeah. Now, now when, when you started in Alien Beans in the beginning, you had your own studio. Um, was it hard to be disciplined in there? Because normally when you're in another studio, you're on the clock. It's costing money. Was 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 that difficult in the beginning for you? Because you had your own studio, you could do stuff in your own time, however long it took. Yeah, it actually was way better uh, because of that reason. Uh, when you're under the gun, you can't wait for creativity to come. It's you know, it's now, period. No matter how you're feeling, and that's no way to make music really. Um, music's about feeling. It's about capturing moments. And sometimes you got to wait for that moment. So that was the whole reason for trying to have my own place because that's really the only good way to make music to me. You have to wait for the moment you're inspired to do it or you're kind of, you're just going through the motions and it's sterile. At least that's, that's how it is for me. Yeah. Now, I want to talk to you a bit, little bit about the new songs that are on the record, the 10 new songs. Um, how old are some of those songs? Are they all relatively new? Uh, well, half of the songs are are older songs that have been remixed and remastered, and some of the sampling on the drums has been replaced with more modern sounding drums just to make it sound more like the new songs that are on the album. So um, half of it's new stuff, half of it's old stuff, but it all sounds like the new stuff now. So it's even if you're familiar with the older stuff from the older releases that we did online, years ago um it'll still be a different experience it sounds different and hits a little harder now yeah was that a little bit weird going back and listening to the old songs and remixing them because like 
in a way, are you kind of saying to yourself, because you would have mixed them the first time, are you kind of saying, well, maybe I made a mistake the way I mixed them the first time? Did that ever enter your mind at all? I know it's more like technology has advanced and my own knowledge has advanced since then, and I can do things that I couldn't do then, uh, and I had an opportunity. Uh, and the problem with leaving it as is and putting it on the album with the new stuff is that the new stuff sounded a whole lot better because things have advanced so far and my studio has advanced a whole lot since the old stuff was recorded. So it was just an opportunity to bring the old stuff up to R with what's going on now. And that's how I looked at it. The old stuff is still out there in its original form for anyone who prefers that. Uh, but if I was going to offer it again, like, like now I want to get to be uh, with, the advancements and the knowledge I have now, uh, mixing them and trying to make it punch harder. Yeah. Did you ever think of actually re-recording the old songs at all? Um, no, because I do believe in the purest element of leaving all performances exactly as they were, uh, and because that's how it was released. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel weird about going in and actually tampering with the actual recording. But I did. I was able to change the drum sounds, but not the performance. The performance is identical. I mean, it was all recorded MIDI in the first place. And so I, all I had to do was go in and change samples, but the performance is identical. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of the new songs like "Deeper Place" is brilliant. I love. Lo- I love the melodies in your writing, Ty. I got to be honest with you. Like, you never overplay anything. It's always about the song first, and. The heavily twisted, deeper place. They're just amazingly crafted songs, in my opinion. Thank you very much. Yeah, and like freight train as well. Like you, you, you seem to be able to go from the light to the to the to the heavy stuff, pretty pretty easily. But I love both, and um, and so when I do something that's kind of laid back and I'm really immersed in it for a while, the next thing I want to do is rock. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not 
stay in that place. And then after I rock, I can like worn out and want to do something mellow. It's like it's great to be able to go back and forth. And I love both very much. And I'm thankful I can go back and forth instead of getting, you know, stuck on something and tired of it. Yeah. Are you, are you someone who just writes songs to write songs? Or do you go in and say, look, I need a heavy song now, or I'm going to tone this back when I need something a little bit lighter? No, I just write when something comes. Um, I'm all, I'll, I'll write something every day if something comes every day. I just always want to write, but I can't force it. So I don't really sit down and, and force it, but there are days when I just feel and know that if I pick up the guitar, okay, I feel something's going to come. That's really the only way I know how to explain it. And, yes. just, and then, I, then I'll, I'll pick it up and make something up. But uh, if I try any other time, it's a waste of time. Yeah, well, what's the longest you've ever gone having writer's block where you just got nothing? Um, well, I don't know about writer's block, but I intentionally stopped writing for uh, it was a period of, I'm, I'm not quite exactly how long, but probably very close to a year, if, if not a full year. Um, I even quit playing guitar for a while after I came off my first tour I'd ever been on and decided to go to college. <clears throat> I uh, put the guitar away and quit playing. And I remember being at college and, and I had a really nice Les Paul custom. And it was just in the closet the whole time I was in school. And uh, I remember uh, at one point, showing it to somebody and they had no idea I played guitar. I was like, yeah, I, I, I actually used to do shows all the time and I actually have toured and everything. But I just kind of quit playing uh, when I decided to go to school and stuff. So um, I I just, uh, the word got around it. You know, hey, there's a dude who has a really nice Les Paul in his closet. So there was a show toward the end of the school year um, where it's a talent show that the college puts on every year. And so there is, um, you know, I don't know, maybe 15 bands, you know, going to perform at that, you know, gymnasium, you know, stuff, you know, 5,000, 1,500 people. It's a fun thing that they would do every year. And so this one day, this girl comes up to me right before the show and says, Hey, I hear that you have a Les Paul. Do you, you play guitar? I said, yeah. And she goes, well, can you play leads? I said, yeah. And she said, well, do you know this so-and-so song by Rita Coolidge? Do you think you could play that solo? I said, yeah, sure. She goes, really? I said, yeah, no problem. So without even rehearsing or anything, I show up at the thing um, with my guitar and play the solo and and then leave. I, I I don't even remember talking to the girl, to be honest. After I left, I'm sure we said, you know, oh, thank you or whatever. But I, I mean, there was nothing. I didn't think anything of it. Went back, put my guitar in the closet, and thought, well, that was kind of fun to play again. But I had no intention of doing anything. And a couple of days later, I get a call from Doug, who was in the audience, and saw me play that lead and had to know who I was and wanted to get together and play. And that's where this all started. Wow. Nice. Nice. Well, before I leave you go, Ty, I just got a couple of quick questions. Um, my listeners will kill me if I don't ask you about what the status is with King's X. Are you planning on going into the studio this year? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, um, we don't have a definite date yet, but we do have 
uh, we're supposed to be writing songs for that purpose right now. That's what, what stage we're at. Okay, excellent, excellent. And I'm sure you've got shows booked throughout the year. Are you yeah, planning? Actually, yeah, are you planning on touring the solo stuff at all? Possibly. I'm actually talking to a couple of different people about that right now. Um, problem is, I it's hard to go tour because uh, the guys I play with are down in Texas and have jobs, except for uh, one of them can tour, but the other two can't. Okay. I can't really go out for many times. So um, I'm I'm sort of not sure what to do, but I'm trying to figure that out. And I have some some things in the works and some people trying to get me to do that right now. Okay. Yeah, and just before I leave you go, I, I want to ask you about, um, you know, I'm hoping to speak to John Karabi soon. And he was on, of course, the Motley Crue tour in 94. And you went out yeah. on that for some shows with Typo Negative. Um, what were your memories of that tour? Fantastic! It was. Um, I just remember really enjoying that everything about that tour from beginning to end. And I have so many, I have more stories from that tour probably than any other tour we've ever been on. Wow! It was totally a blast. Both bands, Typo and the crew guys were just the absolute coolest. They they were so nice. We all hung out. It was a big, just everybody support each other. Fest. It was nothing but positive vibes and a great time. Excellent, excellent. Well, Ty, it's um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Do you want to give out all the um, the social media links where people can get in touch with you? Yeah, um, you know, I have. I, I have a fan page on Facebook that doesn't come up if you type my name in for some reason. I have no idea why. <laughs> if, you type in Ty Tabor, if you type in Ty Tabor on Facebook, several things will come up, including something that looks like my fan page. That's a community page, but it's not my official page. My official page, you have to actually type in Ty Tabor fan page. If you do that, then the real one will show up, and that's where I do all my postings and stuff. And then I also, of course, have if you don't want to try to remember that, you can always just go to tightaber.com and click on the Facebook, you know, button. <laughs> okay. And of course you got all the bundles on um on Rat Pack Records, all the autograph stuff yeah. and all that good they they're actually not too far from where, where I'm I live, so they're only up the road, so we know the guys in there pretty well. They're a great label. Yeah, I love it. It's cool. Yeah. All right, Ty. Well, I'll leave you go. I'm sure you've got uh, other people to talk to. And have a, have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. I'm good talking to you again. Yeah. Nice talking to you, Ty. I'll see you out there. Okay. Bye. Okay. Take care.
right, metalheads, that will do it for yet another week of Focus on Metal. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed Richie's chat with Ty Tabor, talking all about his brand new solo album, as well as a lot of his uh, past history, playing guitar, studio, all that good stuff. Richie always likes to go in different paths, and uh, this is probably a pretty good example of that. Of course, you know, going down those different paths always bring out some things that uh, you, you learn, and I never had any idea that uh, Ty was out there as a studio guitarist at age 14. I mean, that is just, you know, you hear about it like from, you know, Jimmy Page knew it and stuff like that. But uh, to hear somebody, uh, you know, kind of in the more modern age talking about doing that as well is pretty mind blowing to think that he was in there cutting tracks in studios at 14 and actually making some good scratch doing it. Uh, it kind of just gave me a whole new respect for uh, for Ty Tabor as a guitarist. Always loved him in King's X. And uh, just, I know his tone and stuff is one of those things that guitar players, we like to chase and figure out how the heck he does that. But again, uh, some pretty cool things that Richie brought out in this interview, I, I really have to say. And again, if you want to pick up your own copy of Ty's new one, Alien Beans, best place to do it is to head over to Rat Pack Records. Because of course, as we've mentioned before, Rat Pack Records puts out great bundles when they put out albums. And this one is no exception. You can head over to ratpackrecordsamerica.com slash Tai-Tabor. That'll put you right on the uh, Ty Tabor page. See all the bundles that are available. They got, you know, got ones with just kind of the CD and a T-shirt, or you got ones where you can get an autographed copy of the CD, as well as some other goodies or uh, autographed vinyl and some other goodies. But uh, those guys over at Rat Pack, Joe and the gang, always putting out some great bundles whenever they do releases. So definitely flying the flag for keeping the uh, physical product going here in the land of metal. And uh, I also played a couple of cuts off of that new one as well. A few of the new songs that uh, Ty wrote for the new release, as well as one of the older tracks as well. Because as Ty and Richie were talking about, it is a double CD, and you get a bunch of brand new tracks from Ty, as well as some great re-recordings of some older tracks. So, uh, as we teased last week, got another great show coming up for you next week, featuring an interview that uh, Richie did with Mike LaPond. Of course, you might know Mike from Symphony X, but also Mike has been doing his other project. It's called Mike LaPond's Silent Assassins, and we've had Mike on before talking about his prior Silent Assassins release. Got a new one out came out on january 26th and this one is called pawn and prophecy so another great release from mike lapon's silent assassins got uh, what eight tracks that are just kind of between you know the three minute to six minute and then uh, the title track pawn and prophecy 22 minutes long so there you go that is what is currently scheduled to be on tap next week that and uh I don't know. There'll be something else in there as well. But that's uh, that's the main event for next week is a chat with Mike LaPond all about his brand new release from uh, Mike LaPond, Silent Assassins, Pawn, and Prophecy. But uh, for this week, that'll do it. You can always uh, keep up with us at uh, focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. Richie's always up on Facebook. And uh, I'm always up on Twitter. And, of course, sometimes there's com- some confusion because Rich, you'll post something on Facebook. It pops up to Twitter. And then I get comments, and I've got no idea what the heck they're commenting on. But anyways, that's where you can find us. But, uh, again, that's it for this week. Put a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember. Focus on 
metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.